Welcome to another inspirational message from Pastor Ron Hammonds, Senior Pastor of Golden Triangle Church on the Rock in Southeast Texas. We're so glad you're joining us. For more information about Golden Triangle Church on the Rock Ministries, visit our website, cotr.com. Enjoy the word. Well, I hope you are ready for the word today. Let me tell you, I have an exciting word. We're continuing in the book of Mark. I love uh, walking through the you know books. But those of you who have been here, you know, I've, I've I've been pastoring here for a little more than thirty years. You know, if I ever start a sermon, it's like the eternal sermon. I don't know how many we. We tried to get out of the book of Acts for like six or eight months, nine months, and we just kept on. I mean, this is like the third or fourth uh, in, in this series, and we're not even out, uh, uh, out of the first chapter yet. So uh, I don't know how we're going to do that, but we're starting today with Mark chapter 1, verse 16. Three weeks and we can't get past 16? What is the deal here? Well, open up your words, get ready, because today God has a word for us today. It's a today word, and I am very excited about it. The, 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 the title of my message today, uh, I, I, had, I had three working titles, okay? I'm going to go ahead and tell you what they were. Let me, let me give you the title we're going with first, Follow Me, okay? But listen to the title that I worked with all this week. i got to carefully say this. Fit Pitching Demons. That was my title up until about, oh, 8.30 last night. Okay. Then I had another title called The Duh Factor. Duh. Okay. All right. So y'all can hold those thoughts in mind while we walk into this message on follow me. You know, I, uh, uh, this will be on the, uh, you know, on the Internet forever. And so I thought people searching in the future uh, fit Pitching demons might not be the thing that, you know, uh, that garnered the most uh, 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 viewers and opportunity for people to, to follow the word. So here we are in Mark. I'm reading from the New King James Version this morning. And uh, we've, we, we've been following along. You know, Mark just gets right into the meat of things. Mark doesn't, doesn't take us back to the genealogy, you know, like Matthew does and Luke Mark does not take us back to the beginning like John did. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. Mark immediately gets right into the meat of the things that Jesus did. He doesn't talk so much about what Jesus said, but he really gives us a real look at what Jesus did. And many people imagine that the Apostle Peter is the one that dictated this to Mark because there are a few things in the book of Mark that are told uh, presumably from from the Apostle Peter's perspective. Some things that are included in this particular gospel that are not included, and also some things that are given from a little different perspective. And so this, uh, you know, this more than likely represents the Apostle Peter's heart and faith, and it's his accounts that most likely that Mark is putting together. We know Mark spent a lot of time uh, serving and ministering with the Apostle Peter. So... Here we are, Mark chapter 1. Uh, you know, Jesus has been, you know, uh, grown up, been water baptized at the Jordan River, tempted of the devil, and he's back now in the Galilee. In verse 16, And as Jesus walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon 
and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Now, the thought connected with this word casting, okay, we're going to take this apart a little bit, so don't let me bore you, but stick with me if you can, and you'll see what's going on here. The thought of this word casting leads one to recognize the value of the throw. You know, to cast a net. Some of you have been with me out there on the Sea of Galilee when we've seen, you know, fishermen throwing nets. You know, it's like, you know, they circle, they kind of just whoo, throw them out there. They're almost like a big old Frisbee, it looks like, for a little while, and then they hit, you know. Whether the wind catches them and takes them this way or that way or, or whether it folds it up, you know, you never really know. But this concept of casting has a reflection that leads us to recognize the the value of the throw. It means literally to let go of something without care as to where it falls and uncertain of its success. This means like basically to fling, to cast. I mean, you're not exactly sure where it's going and you don't know if you're going to be successful. Interesting, huh? All we do know about casting a net is that if we do not cast it, we have no chance of succeeding. Each cast is entrusted to the providence of God and also is approached with hope. Casting must be done with, with, with purpose and with intent and with, 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 with full heart. Like a batter who steps to the plate to take a swing uncertain of the outcome, but confident that he must swing. Because if the batter gets up and is not committed to the swing, you've seen those half-hearted swings. You've seen those swings that are, you know, uh, you know the, the batter's already decided it's not going to do anything, you know. Or, or, you know. or you've seen people get up there and not swing. We must be committed to the swing and confident of the swing, even though that the, the swing we cannot determine if we are going to connect and if that connection is going to bring success. That's what this casting is, is, is you know, portrays this type of, of, of image this type of thought I know you're thinking is there that much in the word of God yes the word of God is so absolutely deep and overwhelming and carries such facets of meaning and understanding it is the glory of God to conceal a matter and the glory of kings to search it out the word of God means so much more than I could ever that word in God's mind means so much more than we could ever dig out but for today realize that Simon and Andrew were committed and fully engaged in the cast. It would not be their first time to cast the net. Many times they would draw nothing, and sometimes they would draw, you know, so many. But they had to be committed. This was what Jesus observed as he walked along the seashore. Two men committed to casting their net. I wonder how many times Jesus watched them cast that net. Maybe drew back not much. You know, he had watched them later on. We, he, he watched them as they fished all night and got nothing. Casting their nets. This verse contains what we will call the duh factor. <laughs> Why were they casting a net into the sea? Well, we read it, Right? It says there in the last part of verse 1, because they were fishermen. Duh. <laughs> Why 
would you do this all night long? Because you're a fisherman. Why were they casting that net? Well, they weren't wannabe fishermen. They were really fishermen. And they were doing what fishermen do. And Jesus saw them. He observed them busily engaged in their trade. The whole Word of God seems to shine a favorable light upon people who have a strong work ethic. The whole Word of God seems to call attention to people who, who are engaged in doing something, not just sitting around waiting for something to be done. The Word of God seems to favorably highlight calling disciples from the group of people who are busily engaged in some type of work that's important to them, important to their families, or important to the future. Jesus often speaks of, and Jesus often favors those who are busy. You remember those with the talents? You know, he favored that one that got out there and got busy and doubled his, his, his talents and that one that increased more. But the one that just sat around and did nothing with it, I mean, just buried it in a hole and just waited, you know. Jesus said, you know, you wicked and unprofitable servant. Couldn't you at least done something with what I gave you? Well, we can watch life go by or we can get involved. And the Bible seems to favor those who get involved in life. If you want to know what God wants you to do, and sometimes people just say, well, I, you know, I would get involved, but I have no idea what God wants me to do. Uh, well, if you want to know what God wants you to do, just look around, look behind you, see what he's prepared you to do, and do that. This is not rocket science. God has been working in your life. He's been working on you. God, with or without respect to what you may think or how much you think you have been you know, partnered with God, God has been partnered with you. He has been preparing you since before you came out of your mother's womb. He has already, like he said to Jeremiah, before you came out of your womb, I had already decided what you were going to be, already decided how I was going to bless you, how I was going to gift you, and what you were going to do. You are created by God, designed by God, and there is something that you can do better than 10,000 people around you, and you can do it easy, and they're struggling trying to make it work. You are fit for something. And when you want to know what God wants you to do, look around. Look around in the moment look around in life and see what he has prepared you to do you have been gifted by God not by accident and not by coincidence not by happenstance God has had his hand on you God is a God of purpose and you were created by design and and you have a purpose just like Simon and Andrew had a purpose you know these young men were busy doing what they were made to do what God wanted them to do. He wanted them to be fishing. <laughs> say, that sounds like a good idea. I think I'm called to that one. You know? uh, but, uh, but you know, Simon and Andrew, they were fishermen. There is no indication that they had some supervisor out there making them do it. Don't be that kind of person. Don't be that woman. Don't be that man that has to have somebody around you making you do something all the time. Don't be that person. Okay? Here, you know, they were not always successful, but if you look, not only now, but in the future, even after Jesus is crucified, Peter says, I'm going fishing. Yeah? Well, uh, 
hardworking, responsible people get noticed. And Jesus noticed them. And specifically, he said he noticed them casting their nets. Verse 17. Then, no wonder we have such a long time, a hard time getting through things. We talk so much about one verse. Let's go to the next verse, see if we can get another verse, okay? Then, Jesus said to them, follow me. That's where I got our final title from. Follow me. And I will make you to become fishers of men. I'm going to take what you are naturally gifted to do, what you were created by God, what you've been working on all your life. I'm going to take the things you know and the things you understand and the things that are simple to you and the things that you're good at. I'm going to take the same things that you have been doing over and over and over and over and over and I'm just going to take it and I'm going to use it for my glory. And I'm going to use you right where you are doing what you're doing. I'm going to use you with what I've already taught you. All of your growing up years aren't wasted God can use that and he can use it for his glory and I will make you to become fishers of men come and follow me is the best way to say that come and follow me you know it just says follow me but this 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 is actually uh, two shades of a meaning come it means to come is like a command come and follow me come is what it means and get behind me get come and get behind me verse 18 they immediately left their nets and followed him wow followed him this concept of following simply means to get on the same road they got on the same road that jesus was on it didn't mean that they had to change a whole lot in their life or, or, or you know but 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 they just needed to get on the same road he was on what road was he on he was on a road of impacting people's life and sharing the gospel and encouraging them you know you can do that from a plant you can do that in a school you can do that wherever god has gifted you and whatever you're busy doing you can do it for him you can get on the same road that he is on right where you are and follow christ they submitted themselves to his judgment they, 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 they came to learn what he knew, to support what he said, and to do what he did. That's what that means. They came to follow him. To learn what he knew, to do, you know, to, 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 to not only uh, learn what he knew, but to support what he said and to do what he did. They didn't get in front of him. They didn't, weren't even called to come beside me. They were called to get behind him, to support him, to encourage. It's still the highest calling that we can receive today, to be called a disciple of Christ. And Jesus did not stop calling just because he had a couple of good people that he really believed that, 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 that could do this job. Verse, uh, verse 19, And when he had gone a little farther from there, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who... Uh, also were in the boat mending their nets and immediately he called them and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and went after him now Simon Peter and his brother Andrew they were found casting their nets interesting but James and John were observed by Jesus mending their nets Two completely different ministries are spoken of here. Mending means to repair. It means to complete. Mending means to strengthen. Mending means to equip. 
It is a Greek word that means to equip. Isn't that interesting? Casting a net, we can easily see that Jesus was needing some evangelist. He was needing someone to gather. He was needing someone to bring them in. He was needing someone who knew how to reach out there. And, and, and it speaks of the evangelistic arm of the church, the gathering arm of the church. Someone that's able to reach out there and gather people, you know. And we should all do the work of an evangelist. But yet there are some of us that are really gifted in that. Pastor Richard Vaughn sitting here is the most gifted evangelist that I know anywhere in the world. This man absolutely has, 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 has reached out and gathered souls for the kingdom. I don't know how, I, I, I would dare to ask him how many churches he has filled up. Because every time he would fill his church up, you know, uh, the, the God would just use them and like seed and spread them and he would fill his church up again. And he would go to church after church, 400 revivals, filling up churches all over the nation, just filling them up. That's the evangelist casting nets. Standing up in front of a congregation as well as going to his next door neighbor, still does it today in, 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 in the grocery store. Wherever he is, he's always casting a net, unsure whether or not it's going to be successful, but he is committed to swinging. <laughs> Let me tell you something. You hang around him, he'll swing at you, okay? And if you have a lost friend, just find out where he's eating lunch and take him and sit down by him and just back up because he's going to swing at your friend, you know? You know, he'll leave it up to God, but he's going to cast a net. You know, this is, that, this is that commitment. It's what he does. And yet James and John were found mending their nets. This speaks of a pastoral ministry. Someone who can take the net and repair it where it's broken, can take people and relationships and help put them back together. Why? Because you are the net. But that, that's a different sermon. But to, to, to you know, uh, each week I try to throw you out there. Some of you, you know, I'm, I'm hoping you'll do a little line fishing. But I'm also hoping that, that, that we can just blanket southeast Texas and, and other communities in the world with a net that, 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 that can draw in people. But, but, but nets have problems. They get dirty and they pick up things and they break. And, and, and so mending a net, washing and cleaning and mending a net and, and making it able and strong and checking on it to see where the weak points are so that you don't lose the fish in the draw all these things are very very important ephesians fourth chapter says in verse 11 that 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 and and jesus uh, himself gave some to be apostles some prophets some evangelists some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints that word equipping is the same word as mending okay comes from the same root word as mending equipping the saints mending the nets same thing okay okay for the equipping of the saints. Why? So that the saints can do the ministry. So, you know, for the, the mending of the net. So the net can work the ministry. Okay? That's our job. That's, 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 that, that's you know, Pastor Vaughn's job. It's Pastor Ken's job. Is to, you know, uh, uh, draw you and equip you. And it's your job to catch fish. Okay? It's our job to help God clean them. Does that make sense? Educate them, teach them, raise them up. Although we sure do like to fish. <laughs> so uh, anyway, uh, you know, uh, um, the calling of these four disciples probably happened on a Friday. I'm going to offer this to you as what I believe. We can't nail it down in stone, but it cost me nothing to follow this scenario. It probably happened on a Friday. Why? 
because Friday at sundown is the Sabbath. That's when the Sabbath begins, and that's when people go to the temple. They go to church, as it were, they go to the synagogue. Uh, and so it, it, it happened right there on the seashore. And those of you that go with me in June, should the Lord allow, I'll, I'll, I'll get to take you right along that seashore right there, just, you know, you know, uh, you know, 50 yards, 75 yards, 100 yards outside of the city of Capernaum. And you can see there where Jesus on one side or the other would, 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 would have had this experience in calling these fishermen. Mark 1 verse 21 says, now he's called these four and it says, then they went into Capernaum. And immediately on the Sabbath. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean on the next day. Because Sabbath begins at sundown in the evening. Okay? So it's most likely from all the rest of the account and all of the harmony of the Gospels, most likely they walked into town and they got into town before sundown. And then when sundown happened and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and taught. Oh, I just love this. Now, can you imagine? Just, just, just go with me on this little journey here. Jesus, Son of God, in the beginning with God, powerful, walk on water, okay? Turn water into wine so he could walk on wine theoretically, okay? <laughs> he can heal the sick, cleanse the leper, raise the dead, cast out devils. I mean, he is amazing. He can feed thousands of people with nothing but just five little dinner rolls and a couple of small fish. This guy, I mean, he can calm the storm. This is this, he could call 10,000 angels. And what does he do? He goes to church on Sunday. Saturday, Sunday now, our Sabbath, the Lord's Day. What does he do? The Bible says, as was his custom. You know, when he went to a, a, a new place on Sabbath, he went into the synagogue. He didn't just go to church as it were. Jesus made time to get involved. Don't you know he was busy? Don't you know he was busy? But he went in. I'm, 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 I mean, the, the, this guy could do anything. I don't have a whole lot more to say to people who imagine that they're too busy or too big to take time for church. This is Jesus, as was his custom. He was found in the synagogue. The zeal, zeal for the house of the Lord consumes him, he says. Wow. Well, if the only begotten Son of Jehovah God, and today when you say God, you need to make sure that everybody knows what God you're talking about. It's Jehovah, okay? Jehovah, Almighty God, the one, only, true, and living God. Whenever His Son takes time out of His busy schedule to attend services and to participate i think at least i could follow that as my example distractions deceptions disappointments will try everything possible to keep us out of the house of god try to stand in our way but come on now let's get on the same road jesus was on you know jesus not only went to church let me show you what he did he reached out and called four disciples and the first thing he did is took them to church he didn't just go to church. He took, I mean, first thing he did is, come on, let's go to church. Okay? I can imagine him going, well, you know, I'll, oh, I'll see you tomorrow. I'll tell you what, I got something else to do. You know what I mean? Church? 
Boring. <laughs> Come on. But this is Jesus. Can we get a real picture of him? Getting excited about being in the house of God, realizing the value of it, and realizing the value of getting them in church because, you know, it's possible because they were out there, you know, probably late that evening casting their nets and, and, and mending their nets. It's possible they might have went home and kind of kicked back. You know, I mean, had a long day. Jesus said, no, come on. Immediately they went to church. Well, at any rate, uh, let me just say it like this. If you want to be like Jesus, you're going to have to go to church. He did, and we will in heaven. Old Testament, New Testament, and eternity. All a picture of us going to church. Okay, isn't that great? Okay, well, Jesus did not assume that the church did not need him, and he did not assume that he did not need the church. He needs the church today, and the church needs him. He created this relationship. And if he needs the church and the church needs him, you need the church and the church needs you. You know, no one should imagine they're bigger and better, stronger, more powerful, or less important than Jesus. Well, uh, in fact, he promised he'd be here this morning. Yeah? Isn't that pretty good? Hey, Jesus, welcome. Glad you're at church. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Aren't you glad he's right there with you? Right here in our midst, whether it's on campus or online, Jesus is here. Thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to follow Jesus. Mark 1, verse 22. When they, when they got to church and they were astonished, you know, uh, at his teaching, oh my goodness, he participated. They were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority, not as one of the scribes. Now there was a man in the synagogue with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, Oh, no, 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 no. Don't tell me there was somebody at church that had a devil. Don't tell me that demon-possessed people go to church. Evidently they do. Oh, my goodness, what is the deal with this? Seems like, you know, seems like devils, by the way, are always crying out, you know. They just can't help it. Um, what do most, here, here's a question. What do most demon-possessed church members say? Oh, you knew this was going to get good, didn't you? Come on now. How can you recognize a demon-possessed church member? Jesus recognized them. Well, they're crying out. Leave us alone. Don't preach at me. Don't preach on sin. Oh, wait. You're making me uncomfortable in here. Oh, this is good stuff. If you can't have, you know, fun looking at the truth, you know. Are you trying to condemn us? You trying to hurt you? You, you trying to make me feel bad? You, you trying to destroy my reputation? You're nothing but a holy roader. We don't want anything to do with you. You can't tell us what to do. These are all encapsulated in what this man cried out. What this demon in the synagogue. There's no telling how long this man had been in the synagogue with this demon influencing other people and attempting to control things as he was attempting to control things that morning. He was trying to keep Jesus out of his synagogue. 
out of his, from destroying his influence. Amazing. Well, I'm making a little fun of it, of course, but uh, you know, you get the picture. It still happens in the world today. Some people really do claim to be Christians, but all they do is crying out all the negative things and trying, you know, and, and, and uh, you know, it, it, it's, it's, you know, claiming to be praying for others. But they're only attempting to exercise their own influence over the congregation or, uh, you know, trying to appear spiritual. There is no telling how long this man had been in that congregation, and chances are he didn't even know he had a demon. Oh, I just got your attention, didn't I? Chances are he didn't even know that he was a problem. Chances are he felt like he was the answer. Chances are he felt like everybody ought to feel like him. Well, that day he came face to face with the truth. Verse 23, now a certain man in the synagogue with an unclean spirit there was a certain man in the synagogue with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, Leave us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come here to destroy us? I know who you are. You're that holy roller, the holy one of, of God without even realizing most likely what he was saying. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet and come out of him. I love the simplicity of Jesus. Oh, just be quiet. <laughs> Next time you encounter a demon-possessed person in the church, just say, Oh, be quiet. Come out of him. <laughs> I, I saw two people try it right then. <laughs> oh, be quiet. Come out of him. Be quiet. Come out of her. Goodness, come on, can't you, can't you be happy? Jesus is here, you're here, come on, just come on. Don't you know that surprised everybody, especially the man who was possessed with the devil? That really surprised him. Like I said, he may not even realize he had a devil. But all of a sudden, whoo, I feel better. <laughs> the demon in that man was really surprised, but the demon was also very upset. The demon, demon, demon even pitched a little fit. There's my fit-pitching demon. The demon even pitched a little fit, and he hollered and screamed real loud. And, uh, you know, he even hit the guy that he was in. You know, shook him a little bit. I mean, he didn't beat himself up. The Bible says he convulsed him. <laughs> Darkness often makes a lot of noise and tries to cause some amount of trouble when light shines on it, when everybody else sees that it was darkness. Verse 26, let's just read it. I'm, I'm not making this up, okay? If you'd have been there, you'd have seen it, but it happened so quick, you'd have left there thinking, that didn't happen. But look, verse 26. And when the unclean spirit had convulsed the man, Jesus said, oh, be quiet and come out of him. But the unclean spirit wasn't... wasn't <laughs> Bing. <laughs> the un <laughs> some other translations say you know they, they knocked him to the ground threw him to the ground you know but when he had convulsed the man whom he was in then that demon cried out with a loud voice <laughs> came out of him sounds like some of the arguments i've had in church 
Oh, be quiet. Come out here. I'm going to get you. Then all were amazed. I would have been amazed if I'd have been there. And so they questioned among themselves, saying, what is this? I've done it too. What in the world just happened? Y'all see that? What new doctrine is this? I mean, is this going to happen every time we come? You know, uh, 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 for with authority, this teacher, this man, Jesus, commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And immediately, uh, Jesus' fame spread throughout all the region around Galilee. Well, what an interesting account. And it's the account of just one day in the life of Jesus. I mean, and, and his day wasn't even over yet. Okay. Whenever he got out of church, the Bible says he went over, you know, to, to, to uh, Peter's house. And a lot of people came in and he just ministered, ministered, ministered. And, you know, and he, he just kept, I mean, there was a lot going on there. But Jesus knew what was important. He got to bed early enough where he could get up early the next morning and go out and talk to his daddy about a few things. I imagine I'd need to talk to God about a few things too after a day like that. But this is one of his easiest days. Verse 35 of Mark 1 says, Now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. You know, Jesus is our perfect example. And believe me, nothing helps us to recover from a tough yesterday like finding the place of prayer today. If you had a tough yesterday, find the place of prayer today. If you have a tough today, then in the morning when you get up, find that place of prayer so that you can talk to your daddy about a few things. We could go on and on this morning, but, but uh, I'm going to conclude. Uh, why? Because you probably had enough. And, you know, I could just, I can go verse after verse after verse and, and uh, you know, but soon we would lose what God wanted to say to us today. So before we get too many things to remember, let me give you my three takeaways from the verses we read today. My first takeaway today is if you want to know what God wants you to do, look behind you to see what he's prepared you to do. Let me encourage you, get engaged. Get engaged in life. You're more able, more capable, more ready, and more prepared than you may give yourself credit. Get engaged in what God wants you to do. You know, and there's no guarantee of success every time. We fall on our knees before a loving God who is the author and the finisher of our faith and our work. He will work with us and through us and on us. But He cannot work as well without us. Number two, the second takeaway today is if you want to be like Jesus, if we, if we really want to be like Jesus, then we will need to go to church and we will need to take others to church. We will need to go and take others to church. Now, that's a reality. That is just, I, you know, it's just not true. With Jesus, just him and his family or him and his friends were not enough for Jesus. And it's not enough for me, and it's not enough for you. Listen, if you want to be like Jesus, 
in this life or in the next, you're going to have to follow him. Go and take others to church. It is still what he's investing in. The church is what's going to bring the gospel to future generations, not you in your home. Just having your own little Bible study. That's not going to reach the world. You're missing the boat. You're missing the purpose, missing the reason. And it would be wrong if I didn't tell you that. Please realize, church, for you and those you influence, you know, let me put it this way, a bona fide church, okay, not a glorified group of friends, but one ordained, anointed, appointed, by God doing the work of Jesus, filled with the power of God, like that first church. It, it needs to have a first-generation experience. Every church, the New Testament is 40 years showing us an example of one church, one group of people that built churches all over the world. That's what they did. They went and built churches. Why? So that future generations would have the gospel of Jesus Christ available to them. They could have kept it right in that little 120 in that upper room and probably had, you know, more secure, better, more spiritual services. But they built churches all over the world because it's the will of God. And it takes people. Number three, the third thing. My third takeaway is don't be surprised if demons pitch a fit when they get caught. Just make them leave anyway. Okay? Don't submit to the devil's fit. Amen? Don't let it scare you. When they get loud... When they start shaking, <laughs> they pitch fits. They got to go. I hope you're joining with me each week in praying over our nation to make sure that we lift up our voice of prayer, our voice of confession, and our voice of command. Demons must leave our nation our nation's capital, our national leaders, our local leaders. They have no right to, to my nation. They have no right in the name of Jesus. Command them to flee. They might convulse a little and pitch a little fit and scream, but make them leave anyway in the name of Jesus. Amen. They'll be better off for it, and so will our nation. Thanks again for joining us for another encouraging word from Pastor Ron Hammonds. Visit cotr.com and subscribe to our social media platforms to stay up to date. As well, receive more encouraging messages from our pastor and details of the work we're doing both in our community and communities like ours around the world. Today and every day, God bless.